Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and yes, it's Tuesday, and we seem to be back on our normal schedule. <laughs> I'm certainly, I certainly hope so. I'm definitely to the point where I, I miss my consistency of every Tuesday getting this done, getting it out to you, and then being able to do other things during the rest of the week. There's some games I need to play later in the week for the channel. Uh, I'm going to be playing uh, that Blazing Chrome that comes out on Thursday. And uh, that's uh, that's like that new Contra type game uh, that looks really, really good. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, so I want to get I got to get the podcast out of the way so I can work on that stuff on my other days. Maybe play a couple other games for the channel. Um, but uh, so today, then uh, we have one I have one major story I want to talk about. And it's a big one. There's a lot to unwrap. There's so probably only talk about the one story. Uh, and then, of course, I have my game of the week picked out. I have my pickup pile of the week, which, of course, after last week, remember, I had just a monster pickup. I was like, I got to slow down. Well, this week, someone brought in a huge trade of Genesis and Sega CD stuff. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I, I needed to take a break from buying stuff. But, I mean, when good stuff comes in, you got to get it. Because some of the stuff I've never seen before, and I'll probably never see again. And, uh, and yeah, so, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of sucks but it is it is whatever um so we're gonna go through that we've got that um and got game of the week pickup pile of the week we got our main story um i don't think i have a user question let me take a quick peek um uh nope no no user question this week that's okay but send me one if you want to you can send it over soundcloud too. soundcloud message or or tweet at me at uh, Game Trade Greg, and you can uh, you can certainly do that. Uh, or you can leave a message on one of our YouTube videos, and I'll I'll do that too. Um, so actually, I should I'm sorry, I shouldn't say. It. There's two stories I want to talk about. Um, one of them's really short though. Uh, that'll be at the end, and then in the beginning we have whatever. So uh, we have the big story about G2A. G2A is a a used CD key rege- uh, reselling site. Online, they resell CD keys from Steam and from hum- Humble Bundle and stuff like that. So we're going to talk a little about that and, and the recent uh, issues that they're having. Uh, but first, I do want to tell you about this epic haul, and, and you'll you'll know more when I talk about the game of the week. Uh, or not my game of the week, but my pickup pile of the week when I talk about that later. Um, but it was unbelievable. It was somebody who I've known for many, many years. Uh, they came in. Uh, not like a friend or anything, just a customer from the even the old software, et cetera, days he came in. And uh, so he comes in, him and his his kids still shops in the store a lot, but I don't see him very much anymore. And his kids, you know, like 20 now, of course, because I'm old as dirt. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so they bring in like six or seven bags, you know, it's just plastic bags full of stuff. And they had a PS3, like a 60 gig system in the box. And I'm like, okay, cool. PS3 trade. And they're like, Hey, we'll just drop this off. Call us when, when you, you know, you have a number figured. I'm like, perfect. That's cool. And so I'm working actually on another trade at the moment. I was working on a PS4 trade with like 20 really good PS4 games. And actually that was a really good trade too. So I'm going through that. And all of a sudden I just hear Dom, who is my, my full timer. I was working with all weekend. He just goes, dude, 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 you guys see this, you guys see this. And it was like every bag he opened was all Genesis games. It's like, Oh, awesome. Then one bag had a bunch of Master System games in it. Okay, awesome. One bag has Sega CD stuff in it. Oh, awesome. And then a second bag has Sega CD stuff. So of these five or six bags, it was all Sega Genesis, Sega Master, and Sega CD. And uh, and then when I opened the PS3 box, it was full of Atari. <laughs> Damn it. I, Atari 2600 is such a difficult thing to move. You know, it's it's such a it's such a hard thing to move. Uh, it moves so much slower than everything else. Even if it's worth money, it just it just sits forever waiting for that right person to come along because it just doesn't have the power, the collecting power right now of NES and Super Nintendo. Um, but there's really good stuff in there. Um, but at first I was like, you know, I'm going to pass on these Atari games and and Ken's a really nice guy. So he's like, well, if you're just going to pass on me, you can just have them. I don't want them in the house. And, uh, and so as I'm going through, I'm like, holy crap, there's some really good titles in here worth some really good money. So obviously uh, I had to get back at him and, and give him like money back for those because like I couldn't just take those for free. So I'm actually still in the process of going through those um, because there's that was really cool stuff. And there was a whole bunch of generic stuff too, but you know, like, like Atari does. <clears throat> um, but it was just awesome. And, and so 
you know, it's so weird to me sometimes. This happens. So sometimes someone will bring in a collection, and it's all like sports games. So every game they have isn't worth anything. And it's disappointing, but it happens. You know, it's all about our tastes, right? Like we all have unique tastes and unique uh, feelings about things and the type of games we like to play. And this this guy, Ken, my God, everything he bought was a rare or unique game. <laughs> now, there was like maybe five to ten sports games throughout the whole thing, but everything was complete in box. Uh, unfortunately, he, all the RPGs he had, almost all of them were missing manuals. So what I'm hoping is one day he comes up to me and says, hey, I found a box of all my old manuals. <laughs> he just gives them all to me. But I'm talking... Fantasy Star 1, 2, 3, and 4, uh, Shining Force 1 and 2. Uh, he had a bunch of the shmups. You know, he's got um, Raiden, Trad. He's got Grindstormer. No Musha, sadly. That would have been awesome. Um, Sega CD, he had uh, Android Assault, and he had, like, Wild Woody. And these aren't even, like, Wild Woody's not a shmup. It's just a side-scrolling platform where you play, like, a pencil, and you jump and erase enemies, and you jump on them. It's pretty fun, but, you know, but that's, like, a $60 game, and then... Um, you know, Popful Mail RPG for Sega CD, Vey for Sega CD, and like everything he had was dynamite. It reminds me of that Turbo Graphics trade I did a few years ago, where it just everything this guy had for Turbo was a hundred dollars to a thousand dollar games. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I just I have no other term for it. Just sometimes, uh, people's collecting ability. Uh, you know, is just whatever they bought just happened to be aligned perfectly with what was going to go up in value. So you could argue that they just had really good taste, but also it's obscure stuff like uh, Turbo Graphics, especially like it was hard to find Turbo Graphics stuff around here at the time because it wasn't the best seller. And uh, and you know, and, and Sega CD RPGs, and some of them even had their original receipts from brand new. Like I want to say, Fantasy Star Two, uh, was it Toys R Us? I think had a stick in there. It was like seventy nine ninety nine. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Um, but everything that was in there with very few exceptions was awesome. And so if you, if you like our, our page on Facebook or if you follow me on Twitter, I did post, I did post a lot of the pictures there. So you got to see a lot of the stuff. My goodness, it was, uh, it was something, you know, it was, it was just, it was awesome, you know, and you don't see Genesis and Sega C stuff very often. So it's great. And it's still a slow category like Genesis is a much slower category than say Nintendo, Super Nintendo, GameCube, N64. Like everything Nintendo is just a faster moving category. But when you get games like this, and I've already sold a bunch of them and it was great. Uh but when you get games like this, you just certainly don't see it very often. And uh, and it was great. So very, very happy about that. Like it was just a great trade. I mean I paid out almost three thousand dollars for everything. It was it was a lot. Uh, but it was a lot of good stuff, and I'll I'll make money on it. I'm happy with what I'm gonna make, and Ken was happy with the amount of money he got for it all, and you know. And then he said as he's leaving, he's like, "Yeah, I got some more boxes. I'll let you know." And this, it's like Schrodinger's game box. Like you have the, the possibilities are endless. It could be the worst game. It could be the best of games. Um, stuff like Crusader of Senti for Sega Genesis. Now, sadly, that was just a loose cartridge, but my goodness, that's a two hundred, you know, two hundred fifty dollar loose cartridge all day. So, you know, and he just had it, I, you know, where did you, I never saw that game when I was, when I was looking for Genesis games back in the day. <laughs> so, I mean, just where like so few copies that exist and to, to have one, you know, and I, I just bought my copy from press start in Appleton, uh, like a few months ago. And that was impossible to find in the box, but I did, you know, he got lucky, got lucky, had one there and, uh, you know, and the box in good shape, which is ridiculous. And then, so to see a loose cart come through is it's mental, it's mental. Um, but awesome. So that was a really cool trade. So if you haven't seen it, check out the Facebook page or my, my tweet about it and, um, and then come into the store. We have a lot of it still. Um, which, like I said, when I talk about my pile of pickups later, you'll, you'll recognize some titles. Most of what I have here came from that collection because I wasn't really planning on buying anything. I'm going to be totally honest. I wasn't, that wasn't there. And then, well, and then, you know, fate lays down at your doorstep and then you got to deal with what you get. Um, so I want to talk about that. Uh, that was really fun. And then lastly, I want to talk about, uh, last Saturday, my friend Rob opened up his new game store in Oshkosh. So start over games is a new video game store in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So if you're in the area, I highly recommend checking it out. It's about 45 minutes South of 
Green Bay and 45 minutes northeast of Madison and 45 minutes north of Milwaukee, roughly about that. And so if you're in any anywhere in Wisconsin, it's pretty easy to get to Oshkosh unless you're on the west side like uh, Eau Claire, La Crosse. That's you're looking at four hours. But for the most part, it's it's really drivable from most locations. So I highly recommend it. Check it out. Um, full disclosure, I am a part owner in that business, which is a little strange. I won't lie. It's a little strange, you know, having my own game store, essentially helping someone make a store that will be essentially a competitor to me, but being a part owner. Um, it's, it's different, but, uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter. I mean, uh, I, I want more game stores around. I said the same thing when I helped Zach and his friends when they opened Prestart games too, it was kind of the same thing. I, I, I thought, am I, am I making a huge mistake here? Like as a video game store owner, should I not be helping a new video game store that could essentially be competition to me? But one, here's always been my philosophy when it comes to competition. You do the best you can do. If you can't beat everyone else on your own, then you've got to work on that before you work on anything else. You know, and there are people out there who feel like to to be the best, they have to tear other people down to their level. I refuse to do that. In fact, I have no problem. I'd love, you know, sometimes good competition keeps you honest. And after doing this for eight years now and not having an end in sight, you know, for the foreseeable future, I think it's fair to, you know, to to keep to to keep the industry strong, the the used game store industry strong in my area, uh, to one to keep me going, you know, make sure I'm not getting lazy and resting on my laurels, uh, but also because it helps, I think, with the inventory. So now you have another great store in town. I've had people buy stuff at Press Start, sell it back to me. I know people that I've sold things to have sold it back to Press Start. So it's it's interesting, though, that we will cycle through. So having us both in town, I don't think's hurt us. I really don't. Um, I, in fact, we both share each other's cards. He's introduced customers to my store and mine customers to his. And I think there's a synergy actually going on there. And it's it's pretty cool. And so it is something that uh, that is weird, you know, being a part owner in Rob's store, I think. you know. And at first, I, I offered... You know, I told Rob straight up from the beginning, I said, I'm your friend, man. I will offer this help to you for free. I don't, I would have a hard time giving up 10% of my business. You know, uh, I, I would have a hard time with that because, uh, because it's mine and I'm, I'm really, really hands-on and I'm very, you know, um, but Rob, uh, wanted the help, but he understood that that help had value. And that's really respectful of him to do that. You know, he could have just said, oh man, can I have all the help? And and uh, and this isn't a dig on Press Start because they asked for my help too. I mean, I just all we did was chat about things, though. Really, it was it didn't go beyond that. Rob and I had a much much more in depth, you know, uh, brainstorm and sesh, and we've talked a lot more about strategy and marketing and things. So, and I trained him on how to use the software and stuff. So, it was uh, a little different different scenario there. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's a very good thing. He had a great opening day. Um, it's funny because you can tell there's a part of him right now that's very much like finally, like the setup is over and the hard work's over. I can finally, I'm in the store and easing in. And unfortunately, that's just not how it works. Like it, it's actually harder once you open, <laughs> like I, I try to tell him and not, I'm not trying to scare the poor guy, but it's like, now's where the hard work begins. <laughs> like the setup and the being, you know, not having to be locked into those hours every single day, you know, he's working six days a week. He's working Mon uh, Tuesday through Sunday. He's off. He, they're closed on Mondays. He works uh, 11 to 7, but, you know, realistically, he's probably in there at 10 every morning, probably 10 to 8, you know. And that's a lot of hours. I mean, that's, that's what I, I was open 10 to 8 when I opened. And so I was there probably 9 to nine to 8, 30 probably is accurate. I mean, back then, you know, you were slower, so I could finish all my work by 8 and just get out of there at 8.05. You know, I didn't have to stick around much later past that not like now where it's like if i leave at 8 30 it means i'm leaving stuff undone <laughs> like just stay an hour after close just to get caught up which might be something we have to do you know going forward um so so anyway he launched very very good launch very happy with the numbers i think he was very surprised at how well it was and we didn't even really advertise it i didn't push it on game trades page because we weren't sure how busy we wanted it to be so Zach and I, we're going to do a grand opening sometime next month in August where we actually do, I don't know if it'll be a sale necessarily because that is a challenge of video game stores is having inventory. And uh, so part of that problem is if you do a sale, you blow through inventory. And it's not always wise to blow through inventory 
when you're just starting out, you know, so we might do some sort of sale, you know, but I, it might even be something as simple as, hey, just 10% off used games, just something to give to people to come in. But even that, you know, like I said, you don't want to encourage people to take all your games away because then, eh, and then, then you got nothing left to sell to everybody else. But obviously it's nice putting some money in the bank. You know, that's always, that's always a good thing. In fact, I need to have a, we need to do our summer sale in August and Zach has his four year anniversary sale in July. So it's, whoo, Shenny, it is, it is, it, it is a month. August is a month. And then September we're rolling in. We got a bunch of stuff going on there. October, I'm going to, uh. Ireland for a week and um so yeah and then the end of October's Dave's wedding and so it's just like the store's just been nonstop busy on top of the fact we have a lot of personal stuff going on um people taking trips and vacations and normally summer slows down for us because people are going outside and stuff like that but it has not happened this year <laughs> like it's been really weird um I mean, it didn't happen last year either. I think it was September or October it finally, like, slowed down because everyone was waiting for the new releases, so they weren't buying a lot of used stuff. But it's weird. It's very, very weird. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob Store is really great, though, so get down there and check it out. Start over games. Like them on Facebook. Check them out. Uh, it is, uh, it's a good-looking store. Uh, and I was there last Tuesday, right after I recorded the podcast, actually. I went down there. No, no, I did the podcast on Wednesday. So I actually went, that's why I didn't do the podcast until Wednesday. That's right, because on Tuesday I went down there. I wanted to get enough time to help out. I actually stopped at my store for two hours in the morning and worked there and then went to Rob's. And uh, and I'll tell this funny story because uh, a lot of people don't know this, but when I, when I opened originally, I opened on April 16th. That was my first day of business in uh, 2011. And I wanted to open on April 9th, which is my birthday. And so I thought it'd be really cool to have the store share the same birthday as me. So that was my plan. April 9th, open, let's lock and load. Well, I was inventorying for two weeks straight, all my product and testing and cleaning, getting all that stuff done. And it was about halfway, it was like four days away from April 9th. And I said, I'm never going to get this all done. And I was working there 12 hours a day, every day, inventorying stuff, cleaning stuff, testing. I had friends help. I had my friend John helped me a lot. And I still wasn't going to be ready. So I had to push it back a week. And that really sucked. You know, I mean, I really wanted to open April 9th, but I pushed it back a week. Obviously, everything worked out fine. We are where we are today. So fast forward to Tuesday. Um, my idea was to get there and help them merchandise the store. So we were going to decide where, what racks go where, what product goes where, and make it look really nice. Give Rob a couple days to like, you know, just work on little things around the store as opposed to the the big stuff. Um, and so, so I get there and I see that uh, the totes, because part of my investment was product and also glass cases and and my resurfacing machine stuff like that. So, all that was part of the investment. And I look there and all the totes of the stuff I gave him is still in totes, not inventoried yet. And then I see maybe a couple hundred games on the wall bookended that aren't inventoried yet. And then I hear Zach from Press Start's going to be bringing like 500 more games that aren't inventoried yet. And I just looked at him and I said, hey, guys, I don't want to be an alarmist here, uh, but I think we are very behind. <laughs> I said inventorying because you only have one computer, so only one person can enter one game at a time. And the way the computer system works, you have to create every SKU if it's the first time you're putting it in the computer. So basically, when there's new stores opening, that's every game. So you have to put in, you scan the barcode, you write the description of the game, the cost of the game, and then you print a label. And yeah, that doesn't sound like too much, but it's enough. <laughs> it's enough to, and then you have to do that a thousand times. That, that's, you know, and all the credit to, in the world to Zach at Press Start dude smashed it he got almost everything inventory and what's funny is the reason i chose that tuesday to go work down there was because uh i was actually meeting a friend to watch spider-man in oshkosh so i thought i'll go down there and i i think we were seeing spider-man so i actually left i was there from like 10 30 in the morning until 5 p.m then i left to go watch the movie and i was going to be done at five o'clock but when i left it was in no place to leave it so i actually came back after the movie and worked to like 12 30 in the morning craziness crazy talk but we got there and so we got caught up and so uh we we got rob there he's got a lot more product than people expected for a new store and it looks really good it looks full um he's able to sell stuff make some money and still have stuff to sell he's already getting trade-ins awesome stuff so uh really really great uh, i'm really happy for him he's gonna do really well he's got good customer service skills uh he wants to take care of people like that's something too like you can have good customer service skills but still not care about customers <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i think the best people have good skills and legitimately care like i still get upset if someone feels like they had a bad experience in my store 
you know, and I still, I still take that very personally because I, I feel like that's their hard earned money and, and, uh, I have to work harder to, to honor that, you know, I respect that a lot. And, uh, and, and so, you know, he does too. He has that sense of, um, taking care of people. And I think that's why I ended up going into business with him because I saw a little bit of me in there and, uh, and he still got, you know, he didn't work a lot of customer service. He was a cable installer for a long time. So he doesn't have like the ridiculous people skills of me, but he'll get there. And that's something that just comes with, I mean, I've been working retail for, I don't know, 22 years. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been selling video games for 19 years. So, you know, it is, it is what it is, but, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, so it's really fun. Check out start over games, check one on Facebook, uh, uh, and uh, go to the store if you can. It's, it's really great. And uh, message them on Facebook and say you heard about the store from this podcast and uh, and it'll make them smile. <clears throat> so um, with that being said, I think we're going to start the show. We got to get into this G2A thing. And then uh, we're going to talk. Uh, you know what? I might not even talk about this. You know what? I'll talk about this first. I'll tell you. What, I'll talk about this first because it'll be quick. I just want to touch upon the Dr. Disrespect thing. So if you don't know, I did a story about him a long time ago, right? Like he cheated on his wife. He came out crying on stream saying he needed to take a break, whatever. Takes a break for like a month. He comes back to the largest stream and the largest donation numbers like anyone's ever gotten. It's so stupid, right? It's it's frustrating to me when like a, a pretty terrible human does something terrible. So he takes a, a quote unquote break, which might it might even have been real, to be honest. He might have just wanted to take a month off and was seeing the abuse people were taking for being like, I just need a month off, guys, for mental health reasons. And then people, like, blast you because you get paid to play video games. Whatever, we're not going to get into that. But, uh, you know, so he comes back to, like, tons of money. So if you remember a few weeks ago at E3, dude was caught filming people in the bathroom at E3, gets suspended from Twitch for, like, two weeks. And I believe he actually waited a whole month to come back. So he took, like, two more weeks off. He comes back yesterday... After nearly month-long absence following his E3 bathroom stream suspension, Dr. Disrespect returned to Twitch. His suspension lasted two weeks, during which he released a series of trailers for his return and tweeted an awkwardly worded apology on behalf of the Dr. Disrespect, Dr. Disrespect brand. The result of all that hype? 80,000 viewers and some eye-popping donations. <laughs> Today's stream began with Doc introducing his new arena, a.k.a. a green screen graphic of a futuristic arena slathered in buckets of red and black. He showed off a new stream intro and drove in a digital car while talking on the phone, jokingly promising to pay somebody hundreds of thousands of dollars for the new intro. He also dropped an advertisement for a subscriber program and chugged from a container of Dr. Disrespect branded G Fuel. Jesus Christ, this thing is so stupid. <laughs> he stayed in intro mode for about 30 minutes, uh, during which time his concurrent viewer count rocketed up to 80,000 making him the most watched streamer who was live on Twitch at the time. For perspective, Ninja pulled in around 36,000 during this period, while a Russian esports event managed a little over 50,000. His viewer count quickly plateaued, however, and proceeded to slowly deflate once Doc started playing PUBG with other streamers, eventually leveling out at around 40,000 concurrent viewers by the time I stopped watching. This is the Nathan Grayson from Kotaku. Early on in today's stream, viewers complained about Dr. Disrespect's mic volume, to which he replied that he'd fired his director, Alex, over his role in the E3 bathroom incident. A lot of you are probably wondering what happened to Alex. Obviously, Twitch would not allow me to bring him back as part of the team. We got rid of him. I just kicked him out of the stream. Yada, yada. It's just BS, whatever. Um, the stream's early goings were loaded with donations. Many were in the $25 to $50 range, but others reached $100, $300, and even $500. $500 somebody gave to Dr. Disrespect on his return stream after being banned on Twitch for stream, live streaming from a public bathroom. <laughs> and I can't blame him for this, right? I don't blame Dr. Disrespect for this, but who are the people doing this? Who are the people watching this? Who, who has $500 to give to this guy? God, this is just like it's mind-boggling to me. Um. Uh, he acknowledged that his stream overlay no longer contains sponsorships from hardware company Asus or its subsidiary uh, Republic of Gamers. Doc did not chalk this up to the bathroom stream, which he didn't mention, but instead said their deal had come to a nice mutual conclusion. Uh-huh. <laughs> the bathroom stream did briefly come up when Doc revealed that an emote he designed that referenced it, which depicted him peeking out of a bathroom stall, got rejected by Twitch. What a classy fellow. What a cl And then again, he's a character. The actual guy isn't like this. It's a character he streams as. It brings entertainment to people. I get it. 
why would you give this person $500? I don't understand it, but that's fine. Who knows? It might even have been somebody in the chat. Just, it could have been a, a, a pose like a like a, a shill or something it could have been someone they planted in there to give five hundred dollars and just be like what look at this and then look look it got a headline on kotaku and now i'm talking about it on game talk radio which as you all know reaches roughly 10 to 50 million people every single week <laughs> but yeah so i want to touch on that real quick dr disrespect hey everybody if you want to be uh, make it in life uh get banned on twitch for live streaming from a public toilet and um yeah <laughs> it's just and then come back after a month vacation to more money than you would have made if you'd been working all month <laughs> yay internet culture yay twitch streaming culture and then i'm not even going to touch on the other garbage about that girl selling her bathwater we're not even going to talk about that it's just un it's crazy to me it's a whole new world and this isn't a dig on him but jeremy uh, part of the drop rate jeremy does a lot of live streams uh he's into that culture he watches like the the twitch fail compilations and he like he he follows twitch streamers and he he talks to them a lot and like he's part of that culture he lived in like a streaming house i think for a while or he lived in a house in la with a bunch of people who were doing streams who are bigger streamers now and, and it's just it's it's interesting talking to him like i have just i could care less about it you know um it's just weird though it's like there's like this it's a it's a subculture that like exists that I'm just not a part of it. And it's weird to me because I don't know anything about it. Um, but again, more power to you. I'm not saying like that streaming's bad or anything. I just like stuff like this drives me nuts. Now to be fair, both Jeremy Jordan, all, all three of us, Jordan, Jeremy, and I, we all think the doctor, the doctor disrespect thing. Well, I haven't problems with my words today. It's got me all riled up. The doctor disrespect thing is who cares? Like we're all kind of like, this guy sucks. Who cares? Um, but it's just, it's such a weird thing to me that, that people would donate $500, you know, to that if it was a real person. And like I said, I don't even know. It, it, it might've been a real person. Probably not. He might not have cheated on his wife last year. Maybe not. Maybe he did. Maybe not. I don't know. And then of course the, I mean, getting banned on Twitch. I mean, what did he expect to happen when he was doing that? Did he really not think he would be? Maybe he just looked at it as a nice opportune way to get a month off of work. And then come back to more pay. Wouldn't you love that? Take a month off of work and then come back and make more money than you did if you'd been working? Ah, it's incredible. All right, so next up on the podcast, though, I really got to get to this story. So this is the G2A thing. There's a lot to unravel here. And so initially what I would say is if you don't know what G2A is, on the surface, it looks like, you know, it looks like a marketplace. You know, you got to... Uh, you got um, you re you buy Steam keys and stuff. You're like it's like it looks like a storefront, right? It looks like a storefront. It looks like a normal, everyday Steam type, Epic Store type, GOG, whatever. It looks like that. The difference with G2A is that they buy and resell digital keys for products. And so now that they haven't been just marred in controversy over the years anyway, different things happening, this has kind of brought back into the spotlight. Uh, most notably, <laughs> Mike Rose. Um, Mike Rose uh, is, uh, he is a company, No More Robots, and he has uh, published certain indie games. I think he's even made his own. I don't know if he made Descenders or if he published it. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'm not familiar with the game. Jordan will know. And Jordan will kill me because I didn't know he loves Descenders so much. But Mike Rose has kind of, he kind of started it up. Um, so he, he's, he started going after him. And one of the things that really grabbed people's attention about a week ago, if you're going to buy a game from G2A, just pirate it instead. Genuinely. Devs don't see a penny either way, so we'd much rather G2A didn't see any money either. And this all started because apparently Google had some sort of unskippable ads, but what G2A was doing was G2A was pushing that game on Google and saying, here's a price drop. So when you did a Google search for, say, Descenders, and you'd look it up, it would, you'd see an ad that they paid to have on there saying, Descenders is only $4, get it here. And you're like, okay, cool, on Steam it's like 15 bucks. I'll buy it here for $4. You know, it's on sale, right? I think it's fair to assume the average customer would probably think that that developer was seeing money from that, not understanding how G2A does business. So that kind of sparked this all, right? So Mike Rose, he has been, 
he he's been on a tirade um which is fine i i think it's such an interesting thing because there's a lot to unravel here especially um myself coming from owning a used video game store so there's there's a little bit of that uh, angle in here that we want to talk about too uh so mike rose i guess apparently i closed it out here so mike rose is really going after him which which i do love uh anytime a developer feels like they could stand up for themselves i do like it um so here's some of the tweets from mike rose we're only halfway through 2019 and we've already have our game of the year it's searching g2a on twitter and scrolling through all the discussions about what a shitty company they are congratulations I've heard from multiple people that G2A previously sent out emails to streamers slash YouTubers asking them to say nice things about them in return for money, just like the BS Today that's uh, referencing this email that was sent out. Um, this was an email that was sent out to um, a lot of the video game blogs and video game sites. Uh, quote, we have written, we have written, this is G2A. We have written an unbiased article about how selling stolen keys on gaming marketplaces is pretty much impossible, and we want to publish it on your website without being marked as sponsored or marked as associated with G2A. It is a transparent and just review of the problem of the stolen keys reselling. <laughs> so they basically sent out emails to different websites and blogs saying, we want, we have an article that we want people to know that you can't really sell stolen keys because that is part of the issue that people are seemingly having with G2As. They feel like a lot of those keys are paid for with stolen credit cards, stuff like that, and then resold. And then when you when that happens and say someone does a chargeback, that key becomes invalidated. And when that key becomes invalidated, obviously the person loses access to it, yada, yada. So there's a lot of issues there. So they were trying to save face by saying, look, we've written an article on how impossible it is to sell stolen keys and we want you to publish it. But they didn't come out and say, look, G2A is making this article. They wanted the websites to say, look, don't say that we sponsored it. Don't say it had anything to do with us. Just can you, you write the article in your own words? So it was like the poorest attempt probably, I would say, at any sort of like decent publicity. <laughs> this is This is... To put it nicely, piss poor quality of PR. Piss poor PR. <laughs> um, and uh, so now G2A fires back saying the employee tried to pay press, or excuse me, they, they came out and said this is absolutely unacceptable. So they're saying that a rogue employee uh, went out of their way to do this without permission. So let's read it. Uh, an employee of G2A, which runs the controversial G2A marketplace. Now, this is, I'm just going to say this real quick. Controversial G2A marketplace. This is the Kotaku's first line. G2A, a third-party gray market for game keys. Here it is. Shady market G2A offers. You know, this is also one of those kind of groupthink things. Not that they're not independently coming to this conclusion, but it's interesting when you see multiple articles all having the first line talking about, you know, how, like, unreputable this company is. Uh, which runs the controversial marketplace. Anyway, not that it's not controversial. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying it's it's interesting when you read like three different articles from three different places and they all have the same like nuanced writing. Uh, they attempted to secretly pay 10 different journalists for favorable coverage of their company according to emails published on Monday. G2A's head of communications, uh, Masiej Kuk, uh, I think that's the name. I apologize if I got that wrong, Mr. Kuch, Kuk. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, confirmed the scheme to Polygon via telephone this afternoon. He said, attempt to solicit positive paid coverage without disclosure is against company policy and the employee will be reprimanded. They declined to identify the employee deferring the disclosure and employment law within the European Union. Um, so basically, this this they're claiming that it was a rogue employee. Um, I don't believe that for a second. I think that's a terrible look. I think you should just come out and said it. Like, you know what? We were trying to put a positive. We were trying to get information out there without people because people don't believe us, you know, but it doesn't help your um, it doesn't help your cause when you're being non-transparent and you're being very shady about how you're trying to clear your name and not look shady. It's just basic stuff here. People basic stuff. We're talking about your people. Um, 
Since then, Polygon has been able to locate the entire email. G2A's head of communications personally verified its legitimacy and confirmed it was sent out to 10 different media outlets. It's a remarkable document for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the request to keep, that the journalists keep silent on the fact that they were being paid to publish it. So it wasn't just like a request like, hey, would you print this? They were actually going to be paid. The G2A employee says that low-level scammers might be able to sell one or two, even ten fraudulently obtained game keys without triggering its internal security measures. The difficult part is pulling money out of the G2A ecosystem and converting it to cash in the real world. The employee compares that step to walking into a police station and pointing a gun at the officers there. Ugh. Ugh. That's not a good look. On Twitter, the Polish-owned Hong Kong-based company was quick to denounce the email once it was made public. G2A.com tweets out, Those emails were sent by our employee without authorization, for which we apologize. And the nine other media outlets he sent this proposal to. He will face strict consequences as this is absolutely unacceptable. Quote, these emails were sent by our employee without authorization, said the official G2A Twitter account. Uh, Cooch declined to elaborate on those consequences will be. He told Polygon that while it is standard operating procedure for G2A to pay promotional fees for its content to be included on various websites, it must always be disclosed. He also emphasized that he is the only person at G2A authorized to speak with the press. We also asked him about the open call for game developers to participate in an independent audit of its game key catalog on the G2A marketplace. He said that it is his company's hope to have one of the big four accounting firms, Deloitte, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Ernst & Young, or KPMG, perform the audit. None of those accounting firms have been contacted. He said that more information will be released publicly regarding the audits later this week. So it starts off where they're doing something weird with the Google Ads you know, kind of making it look like you can get that game uh, a certain way. And then we talk about how they have this, they, they, they don't want to look bad, so they decide to try to pay off the press to give them a favorable review or to print a story that they wrote about how impossible it is to sell stolen keys. Which is not, it's it's not okay so when you look at the grand scheme of things they're actually not necessarily incorrect it is difficult like the average person doesn't have access to a stolen credit card you know not the average person isn't doing that but that doesn't mean it's not happening and so their argument was trying to be like it doesn't happen a lot so it's okay it's not a big deal um, but again you're trying to prove that you're not you know you're trying to prove that you're not bad that you're not shady and then you do something shady to try to prove it. It's not going to work. You're always going to get busted for that. Always. Um, so I want to go into uh, Mike Rose's tweets a little bit more because he really over the last week has really been hitting this hard in a good way. Um, so I'm going to read a few of these tweets. Nine days ago, when I first tweeted about G2A, some people kept telling me there's nothing you can do. Don't bother. Search G2A on Twitter now and see the reams of people tweeting and joining the cause against them and then tell me that standing up against dickheads is pointless. So he's right. I, I think you have to say things. You know, you have to be able to, to say that. G2A make out like it's just a small number of people complaining. Tell that to the almost 4,000 signatures. So IGN has an article here. Let's check it out. Um, thousand signed petition to stop selling indie games on this controversial digital store. Almost 4,000 people have signed a change.org petition asking controversial video game key reseller, again, controversial video game reseller, to stop selling indie games through its marketplace. The petition comes off the heels of a holiday weekend where G2A published a blog post attempting to defend itself against critics, in which turn spurned indie devs to launch a new wave of criticism against the retailer culminating in this online petition. Indie game publisher No More Robots and its founder Mike Ross launched a petition on change.org last week asking G2A to stop selling indie games. The petition was created as a response to G2A's own blog post, which claimed only 8% of sales on G2A are made from indie games. Rose said on Twitter that if only 8% of sales on G2A are from indie titles, then they wouldn't miss us, right? They could remove all indie titles from G2A and 99% of game developers would be happier. Since the petition was created on July 5th, over 3,600 people have signed it, now over 4,000. Um... For years, video game developers have criticized G2A's core business as it removes the developer from the sales process of their games. Developers further claim key resellers on G2A often use ill-gotten codes, either from scamming developers or credit card fraud, to then sell on G2A and cut out developers from any potential profit from that sale. 
Uh, Vlambeer co-founder Rami Ishmael explained the true cost of G2A sale model to IGN. Quote, many keys on sites like G2A come from less than legitimate sources, fraudulent or stolen credit cards, posing as reviewers or influencers and other similar methods. Ishmael said, those methods cost us time as we now have to deal with the chargebacks when people realize their credit card was stolen, identifying and validating influencers, and dealing with customer support requests for keys we deactivated when we established they've been acquired by illegal means or theft. That means that for key resellers, not only are we not making money from our game, we're also wasting time we could be spending on development while the reseller is making money off of the sale. Uh, yeah, that's... That seems like a valid concern. Um, now, one of the issues I have, and it's not really an issue I have, I guess, but one of the one of the issues here too is they talk about not only is it about stolen keys, right? It's also about the fact that they're giving keys away to influencers, to people to try to advertise. That's something that a lot of companies do. They they give their key away to mid level and high level size YouTubers and Twitch streamers to try to get their game played. Um, arguably, some of the biggest games right now, their launch campaign was played by influencers and it was paid to be so or the keys were given for free it happens all the time um you can there, there's websites you go to where uh you can get keys um like key mailer and stuff where you can get keys and um you know like they they track if you actually do a video on it and then if you put the right tags in and then you eventually earn points to keep getting like more and more you get a rank up jordan does a lot of that and, uh, and so it's a real thing. What they're arguing, too, is that there's people that pretend to be influencers. So they'll get an email from, you know, Jim Sterling. I'm Jim Sterling's son at gmail.com. And they're like, oh, it's Jim Sterling, you know, and then they'll give him a key or give him five keys to give away. And then that person posing has the keys stolen and then they give them away or they uh, they technically then would sell them on G2A. Now, G2A says that they have ways to stop this sort of thing. So G2A starts talking about how, uh, you know, if you join, uh, not to stop this sort of thing, but to get developers in on it. So there is a G2A direct system where you can sell your games directly on G2A, similar to Steam or Epic Game Store or GOG. And so they, but, and they say if you're part of the direct, then you'll get a cut of the used games that get sold on there too, the, the resold keys. I don't want to say used games because it's not like it's a used CD key they're selling. I mean, it's not supposed to be used, uh, but like a, 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 re, a resold key, right? And so it's it's an interesting uh, it's it's an interesting debacle because you can do that if you're part of their direct. But I want to say I was reading somewhere G two A said something like Descenders only sold a total of five copies on their site used. So they're basically arguing that it's not a big deal, basically. But you can see why a developer would think it was a big deal. Um, Mike Rose goes on to say, if you're a YouTuber or Twitch streamer who's sponsored by G2A at this point, you should really be thinking of whether you give a shit about the industry you're a part of. If you know an influencer who's sponsored by G2A, let them know who they are really partnered with. Um, I think that's fair, but I also think it's part of a system, you know, and are YouTubers and Twitch streamers who are sponsored by G G2A, are they part of a problem? I mean, maybe. I just... Everyone's trying to make it, right? Everyone's trying to get their piece of the pie. Maybe if it's a big one, like the really big influencers, perhaps. But, I mean, I think it's a little, you know, I, I agree that it's okay to reach out to them and be like, hey, here's what's going on. Consider not doing it. But to, to, to load the question like that, like if you get sponsored by them, then you don't give a shit about the industry. I think that's a little unfair. I think that's a little unfair. But again, he, he's upset and I'm okay with that. Like he, he is legitimately upset and he has every right to be. He feels like his company and his way of life is, life is, uh, is you know, threatened. And so he goes on to say, uh, he actually had an interview with BBC he talked about. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, BBC had offered something about uh, if, if the developers could prove that, that they lost revenue due to chargebacks, they would pay it back times 10. They, they saw right through that as basically... They were only offering chargebacks if it was sold through the developer's original store. It's just a lot of like, you know, oh, we'll do it, but there's all these caveats in there. Um, let's see here. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Okay, so yeah, that's right. This is their statement uh, that G2A had. I should probably go over this actually. So um, we've received lots of feedback, both positive and negative. Developers themselves have offered some ideas and suggestions regarding the ways we could solve this issues they have with our platform. We need some time to pull it all together. We'll get back to you in the next couple of days with a solution. Of all the negative comments, the following sentence was the most common. G2A admits 
They're the problem because if not them, somebody else would do it anyway. <laughs> Some developers cannot accept the fact that people have full rights to resell things that they own. It's a problem with these developers, but not for us or anyone else, and certainly not for gamers who have access to cheaper products, games included, thanks to marketplaces such as G2A. What we're saying is it's a good thing that people can resell keys with or without G2A they will continue to do so. Okay, that's a great point. And that actually is leading right into what I need to talk about next, which was as a video game store owner, I, I was dealing with, and I was working at GameStop at the time, so I wasn't a game store owner at the time, but during the PS2 era, uh, PS2 and PS3 era. You remember something on the PS3 and 360 era called uh, online passes? Remember that? That was developers' way of battling against used games. You want to play this game online? You don't get the online pass that's included with it. You have to pay an extra $10. Now, I know we are talking about different things here. We're talking about physical games versus digital games. But I do think it brings up an interesting thought that there's always been a developer versus second-hand market relationship because the developer does see nothing profit-wise from second-hand um, sales. When I worked at GameStop, we were, we were, there was always in the news, and there were, you know, it was funny because there were articles that would pop up, developers would come out and speak out against GameStop and their used game policy. But then you also had a lot of customers, though, were, were behind you. You know, you felt like you had people who had the used game in the second-hand market. They had your back because they liked the idea of selling something that they own. Now, could you argue that you don't own these digital keys? That you're just it's it's just your licensing key that you know you have access to the license with this key? That that's probably a pretty technical conversation that needs to be had somewhere. But uh, getting back to it, now I'm the first one to say that GameStop went in its heyday during the PS2 and PS3 era, the Xbox Xbox 360 era. They were very negligent about how they pushed their used game program. So actual company policy back then was if somebody brings up a new game to the counter and you have a used copy, you ask them if they want the used copy. In fact, there was a time when a prompt even came up and said, you have a used copy in stock. Do you want to sell a used copy instead? So they were actively dissuading people from buying new to buy used where GameStop sees all the profit and the developer sees none. And I hated that. In fact, now I look back at that and it sucked. And now, and now GameStop has a huge tracking system, a huge metric system and used game sales percentages is part of that system. So it was in the employee's best interest to push used games because you want your store to perform well. Your bonus is based on that, how well you do and how well you sell used games. So it's all tied together. So, but there's always been a developer versus secondhand market issue because the developer sees no money from it. Now, uh, another very outspoken developer, David Jaffe, and I have had very different views on this, or so I thought, because he's always been very anti-used games, or again, so I thought. What I found out was he more had issue with the way GameStop was handling used games. You know, they had an opportunity to do things the right way, to come up with a system, and they didn't. They chose to just do things their way to make as much money as they could. And in their heyday, when they were opening a th like 300 new stores a year, you know, every little town had a GameStop. Like that was part of what was driving that business was how much money they made from used games. Now, my argument there against that was always that I watched firsthand, and I know this is anecdotal, but I watched firsthand people who wouldn't buy a game for full price. They wouldn't buy Assassin's Creed 3 at 60 bucks, but they bought Assassin's Creed 1 for $10. Then a few months later, they bought Assassin's Creed 2 for $20. Then they bought 3 when it went on sale for $30. And then when Assassin's Creed 4 came out, they pre-ordered it. It's it's an ecosystem. And they, they got introduced into the system and into those franchises, into those games. Now, that's a little bit different story, though, when you're talking about AAA development with sequels and multiple copies of a game and an indie developer who's trying to eat. <laughs> you know, indie developers trying to make money and, and keep his company open. And there may not be a Descenders 2 if we can't get Descenders 1 people to pay full value. <clears throat> and so... It is an interesting take, the use side of it, because I think there's also an element of what you would call the free market. And and I, I'm not a huge, like I own my own business and I am a fan of capitalism, but capitalism has to be, there. there is a check on capitalism. There has to be, untethered un, un, capitalism, I don't think is the best way to go. But free markets and competition is a good thing. I like the idea 
that there should be a place where I could maybe resell Steam keys. Maybe I have a double of. I can gift them to friends on Steam. Like I buy the the Half-Life collection or Orange Box, but I already had half the games. So I get like, hey, they gave me a free key for Half-Life 2 to gift to somebody and Portal to gift to somebody. Well, I can gift that to somebody, but I can't really sell it. Um, it's It's interesting that there's a way to do that. Now, do we need to have a better company who is trying a little harder to not be shady? Yes. Um, and, and I do feel like this is a bad PR move. You can tell that they're just trying to get through this mess. They think it'll be over if they just like try to sweep it under the rug and it doesn't seem to be going away, which is a good thing. I have things like this we need to talk about. But I also don't feel like all developers should argue that they shouldn't ever like used keys are unsellable. Like that is something we have to figure out because do we actually own those keys? And if we do, then you should be able to resell them. And again, even if it were allowed, the developers are never going to love it because, again, they don't see a cut of it. Unless maybe you have a site that will take a cut and give a cut to the developers. It's never going to be the same cut that they'd get if they sold it themselves on Steam. And here's where you really run into the problem. And I'm trying to find exactly what he talked about here. He talks about perceived value. And, and this is something that a lot of people look over. And I wanted to get to it because it, it's a really good point that not a lot of people think of when they think of... Um, when they think of why games being cheaper isn't always a good thing. Um, yeah, here's them uh, blaming the developers for giving out the keys. Um, let's see here. I know it was after they were lying. He said that. <laughs> Started searching G2A and my phone tried to autofill. That's funny. Um, do, 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 do. Here's watching just the the posts go up. Um, oh, where is it? I, I read it earlier and it was basically, you know what? I guess I'll just, I'll keep scrolling down. Um, but basically you talked about perceived value. So if you go on to G2A, well, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Right. Let's, let's do it. We do this live. F it. We'll do it live. Uh, G2A. Um, well, okay. <laughs> I was on the corporate website, not on the store. So let's search Descenders. <laughs> so right now, Descenders you can get for fourteen twenty-seven. It's 45% off. Um, let's go to Steam and look up uh, Descenders. Oop, fat fingers got in the way. So on Steam right now, Descenders is $17.49. So you're only saving a few dollars, and none of the money goes to the developer. So that's not a good thing. Um, however, part of so this was the point I'm trying to make, though. They talk about perceived value. And so say you could get the game in there for $4, and on Steam it's $15. People see that game as low as $4. I hear this all the time from people, actually. Man, we, you know we saw this game for $4, like, you know, I'm never going to pay more than $4 for it. I saw it that cheap, you know, and then you're dropping what is the perceived value of that game. And and I think there is something to be said about that. Um, I do believe a website like this should be allowed to exist unless something comes down that says, you know what, like, and I think also developers should be able to take their games down from there. I think he should be able to contact that site and say, I'm putting like, a, I don't, I don't, it shouldn't have to be a cease and desist. He should be able to opt out of being have their keys being available on G2A. I think that's fair. And that's something that G2A could do as a compromise, you know, as opposed to just making them sign up for this direct just to give them a piece of the used pie. But again, why would they put their game directly on their store when it, it again it was almost like GameStop, like you have new games on the shelf at 60 bucks and they're selling a used one for 50. Well, of course, people are going to buy the $50 one and so many people, I will tell you, don't care as long as they can save a few bucks. And it goes to a much larger issue right now where people are so worried about saving money and, and getting the best deal, they don't care where it comes from. A lot of people shop at Walmart because it's just super cheap. Well, there's sacrifices that are being made to get those prices that cheap. They're not doing anything in the U.S. Most of the stuff they buy isn't from here. A lot of it's cheap stuff from China. That's that's the price you're paying for that cheap stuff. You, know, you want a $10 toaster, well, it breaks in six months and you throw it away, throw it into a landfill, fill up a landfill, and then, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, Ah, eh. 
it's frustrating to me because as a, as a society, like right now we're in this mode of get as cheap as you can. I just want things as cheap as I can get them. Uh, and I don't like that. But I like the ability to be able to resell things that I own, I guess, if I even technically own the keys. It is a complicated issue. Mike Rose is, uh, is totally within his right so to be upset. G2A has been doing shady stuff. They tried to bribe the press out of it. Didn't work. They got busted for that. Don't know why they thought that would work. They came out with a lame excuse saying that it was a rogue employee. Total garbage. Um, don't believe that at all. Uh, it was just, it was a misstep, you know, and uh, and it was bad. It's a bad look. Um, now, does G2A, you know, should they go out of business? I, I don't think so. Let's, I'm, I'm a fan of working to fix companies to make them better and not, not, not part of the cancel culture where it's just like, you know what, let's just get rid of them, you know, because there are people that work there. There's people whose jobs are on the line. Like, let's, let's work to make them better not work to make them go away. Man, that was a lot of stuff. I uh, I probably missed some too because that was a long conversation to have about that. But it's weird. Uh, it is really weird. I don't know I don't know what to say about uh, about that being someone who makes his living off selling things secondhand, I understand like how developers get mad, especially in the digital scene because a game that's 10 years old is still making money for developers when it's sold digitally a 10 year old game in my store, like no one's, there are no new copies of twisted metal black for PS2. The only way you can get it is if you buy it from my store. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. So I don't know. I don't know how that's all going to pan out to be quite honest. Um, but hopefully people are respectful and, uh, and, uh, G2A fixes their, uh, their terrible strategy and, uh, makes it not so, uh, I don't know. makes it not so obnoxious. You know, I just, that's what I want. I just want, I just want them to be a better company and to be held accountable. And I want developers to be more understanding and uh, I want everyone to be happy. I want you to be able to resell your keys if you want to, but I want developers to be able to make money and keep making indie games. Are those mutually exclusive? I don't know. Maybe. I hope not, but maybe. Um, all right. So that's the podcast for today. As far as news topics, go, Shani. Um, so let's see here. Um, yep, 17. I've got a limited run game I have to buy in 17 minutes. So we're going to wrap this thing up just in the nick of time. Look at that. Look at old Greggy getting it done. Um, okay, so first, let's talk about my game of the week. Game of the week, you say? Yeah, game of the week time. All right, got the music queued up and everything. Look at that. Um, okay, game of the week. Turn that up a little bit, maybe. Uh, okay, so game of the week. And I know I've talked about this before, and again, I'm going through the system the right way now, But so bear with me if you've heard this before, but I want to talk about it again. Willow for the NES. So another NES game. We're going through an NES kick right now. Willow. Willow, based off the hit 80s movie starring Val Kilmer, uh, is, is it's a game based off the movie. It, it actually is very much like a Legend of Zelda type. You go screen through screen, uh, it's an action. I don't want to say RPG. I guess it is though, because you have HP and MP, and and uh, it's unlike Zelda. And, like it, it plays like Zelda, but I don't really consider Zelda an RPG because I don't feel like you're, you get new abilities, but you don't have like levels and things like that. Um, so yeah, um, it, it so it's an action RPG, and it's really fun. Um, it uh, it it very creepy music very good music it's a capcom published game capcom could almost do no wrong back in the day but i remember like some of the music is just haunting to me and i don't know if it's because i was a little kid playing it and it freaked me out but it's really really fun uh it's 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 a smidge challenging um but really creepy too like you you randomly find caves you go in the music's dark i don't know scary stuff like there's skulls flying around tonally speaking from a tone uh it had a very very dark tone um the cover of the box is also, I think, the cover of the movie, but it's like that hand-painted kind of 80s stuff, and Val Kilmer's face looks hilarious. Um, but Willow, check it out. It's a really good top-down action RPG. I, I might play through this, actually, on this year's charity stream. I've been thinking about that for a while. But yes, so Willow for the NES. Check it out. All right, so that was our, our game of the week. Um, and then we next we have... Our pickup pile of the week. Um, okay. So, it's a lot. <laughs> so, let's get through it. Um, okay. So, we'll start with, you know, let's do this chronologically speaking. Oop, 
Oh, oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay, so first up, Wonder Boy 3 and the Dragon's Trap for Sega Master System. I love the Wonder Boy games, especially the later ones, when, once they broke away from the Adventure Island style. Uh, super good. Uh, this is, I think this is the one they remade too. Um, yeah, this is like the one they remade recently. Uh, is it? Yeah, it is. Really good. Um, Master System, I don't play a lot, but I have that Mega SG now, and it comes with the Master System adapter. Play Master System games through HDMI on your TV. Excellent. Uh, Wonder Boy and the Dragon's Trap, got that first. Next up, Fantasy Star Original. Yes, you heard me when I was talking about that Sega lot in the beginning. I picked up a copy of the first Fantasy Star. Um, oh, I can't wait to play that. That value is going bonkers to that game. These games are getting really pricey, and I'm trying to pick them up as soon as I can. Uh, the next, I picked up uh, Yeez, Vanished Omens. Uh, so that's another uh, RPG for the Master System. Then I picked up a copy of a game called Trazia. So Trazia is a Sega Genesis game that's like an action, well, not an action RPG, but it's an RPG. It looks super good. Uh, I'd never heard of it before. Watched some gameplay, picked it up. T-R-A-Y-S-I-A, -A, Trazia. And uh, it looks really good. I got to play that on stream sometime just to see if it's any good. Uh, picked up, I'm on a really big RPG kick right now, if you can't tell. I, Dragon Warrior 2, like, awoken the beast in me again. Um, I picked up a copy of Shining in the Darkness for Sega Genesis. I've been looking at that for years, never picked it up. Um, then, lastly, RPG-wise, I picked up Beyond Oasis. Uh, another really good kind of action RPG for Sega Genesis. Only came in the crappy cardboard box. I uh, picked up a copy of Battletech for the Sega Genesis. Um, this is Fossa. Uh, this Battletech is like Mech Warrior, um, kind of same uh, universes. Uh, it's like a top-down isometric view, so it plays kind of like Jungle Strike or Desert Strike. Uh, but then, uh, but you're running on huge mechs, uh, so that's awesome. And then lastly, I for Genesis, I picked up a Championship Pro-Am. So it's like RC Pro-Am on the NES. It's a rare game, uh, rare ltd like rare the company not a rare rare game it is kind of rare uncommon but it's made by the company rare and it's like a sequel to rc pro-am on the nes uh but uh championship pro-am for the sega genesis really really fun there's that um and then i picked up a copy of dungeon explorer for the sega cd this is like a gauntlet type uh it's actually up to four players too that's really fun um, this was the this was the heavy hitter of the bunch. I picked up a copy of Popful Mail. This is a three hundred dollars Sega CD, like kind of side-scrolling action game. Um, it's not like a traditional RPG in that sense. It's it's really really fun though. They're really expensive. It's a Working Designs published games. We've talked about them before, and Falcom actually. Uh, then I picked up. I don't know why I never had one of these, but I guess it's because I haven't really been playing a lot of Sega CD stuff. But I picked up uh, the Sega CD backup RAM cart. So now I can uh, save my Sega CD games to the cart as opposed to uh, as opposed to hoping that my Sega CD doesn't lose <laughs> the save files. And then lastly, I picked up a copy of Dynamite Cop for the Dreamcast. I don't know how I didn't have this. I saw it come in, and I'm like, oh, my name's on the list for this. Holy crap. And uh, so, yeah, I finally got a copy of Dynamite Cop. It's uh, so... Uh, in, in the U.S. on the Saturn, we got a game called Die Hard Arcade, which in Japan was called Dynamite Decca, Dynamite Cop. So on the Dreamcast, when they made, uh, or in the Dream, on the Dreamcast when they made the sequel, they just called it Dynamite Cop. Um, so uh, we had Die Hard Arcade, and this is essentially the sequel, Dynamite Cop. And uh, yeah. And so uh, that is our pile of pickups. Thank you, everybody. Always, always, always. I, I love it. I appreciate it so much. Thank you always for listening and watching. Um, if you haven't uh, subscribed on iTunes, you can subscribe on iTunes. Search for Game Talk Radio. Look for the little Mega Man sprite wearing the Game Trade shirt. Uh, that's me. Uh, subscribe on there. Or if you're on SoundCloud, you can uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. We, uh, we're almost at 6,000. Uh, YouTube.com slash drop rate. Uh, we can follow us live. We do Twitch live streams. It's twitch.tv slash the drop rate. Uh, Jeremy does streams every uh, every like Tuesday for sure. He'll be do he'll be going live soon actually with some Apex Legends. And uh, I always do my 24 hour live stream. And I try to do some random streams here and there. And uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, 
we're just uh, we're just plugging away, you know. So uh, and then of course follow me on Twitter at Game Trade Greg, and uh, you can see cool games that I get in that I tweet out, and also uh, sharing some funny memes. And lately, I've been sharing some some like funny customer quotes from over the years. Like Facebook's been reminding me of some of the weird stuff people have said in the store, so I've been sharing that a little bit too. Now that it's nine years later, I don't have to worry about those people remembering that they said it in my store and that I'm <laughs> that I'm quoting them. Um, but thank you very much always for listening and watching. Thank you, thank you so much. We should be here next time, next week, same time, unless something crazy comes up. But, you know, I, I never want to leave you all hanging. So thank you, as always, again, for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>